You get lost in that song. I'll have you to Second Peter. We'll read a passage there before we get there as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. In this thing of the atonement of Christ, which was between God the Father and God the Son, that transaction that took place, <clears throat> we see things and we hear things from the Word of God that are strange that come into our ears. In your Christian life, even, there are ways that we think as humans in the world that needs to change. In fact, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If I could extract that passage. Beloved, we want to be able to think like Christ thought. We want to be able to think like Christians. We don't, we don't want to think like people of the world. <clears throat> With that, I give you this, which is quoted in God's holy word. God records twice for us. And again, I want you to think like a child of the kingdom of God. Too often we think like a people of the world. But God records twice in his holy word of the declaration of the father when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, we know that Jesus said that twice. Uh, actually, the father said that twice. He said it at the baptism of the Lord Jesus when John the Baptist baptized him. And it was also heard on the Mount of Transfiguration when God repeated the same words. It came from a cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But focus on that phrase, in whom I am well pleased. Now, Second Peter, if you're there, chapter 1 and verse 16, notice there, Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. <clears throat> Now, it's certainly true that God the Father was never anything but well-pleased with His Son, or it means delighted in Him. God's always been delighted with His Son, His only begotten Son. There's never been a time when He wasn't delighted with Him. But now, to our text this morning, and look at it in Isaiah 53.10. <clears throat> I said all that to prepare you for this. Remember, God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But here in Isaiah 53.10, I just want to focus on that part of the passage where it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, or as it means to crush him. So God the Father took pleasure and delighted in slaying his Son. And it was... It was God's will that this be done. It was the will of Christ that this be done. How can this be? And here's why I ask you to enter into the mind of God. <clears throat> Beloved, 
There are things that are unfathomable from the scriptures that it's hard for us to understand. This is one of those things, but I think we can understand it and process it. How? How do I process that God was well pleased with his son? And then here I read that God the Father was pleased to bruise him. Well, it was at the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that God carried this out. It was at the hands of wicked men, but it was all according to God's will, and it was to make an end of sins and to reconcile sinners to God. In fact, look at John chapter 11, the book of John chapter 11. This in the death of Christ, the father was pleased to bruise, to crush his son. John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 7, another passage that is difficult to process because of the love that we know existed between God the Father and God the Son. Now we know the end of the story. We know that Christ had to be that perfect sacrifice for our sins. But here in verse 7, the scripture reads in the prophet Zechariah, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. That's the sword of God. And against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Even knowing this truth, that God would remove the sword from his scabbard and slay his son, even knowing that God was pleased to bruise and crush his son, even knowing these truths, still it's hard to process this. It's one thing for God to offer up his only son. It's quite another thing to be pleased by it. Think about that. Think about Isaac. When Isaac brought, when Abraham rather brought Isaac and laid him on that wood. And Abraham was obedient. And Isaac was silent. Picture of God the Father and God the Son. I believe Abraham had that knife drawn course we don't know how he was going to do it but I believe that's how it was I saw a picture in a painting that depicts that event that Abraham had his hand under his son's chin and pulling his head up and the sword at his throat and that's when God said don't kill your only son now was Abraham pleased to do that I don't know I don't think so, but I know also that Abraham believed that God would raise him up because Abraham knew that that was the promised seed. That's a foreshadowing of what God would do with his son. What we must understand in this, that God was pleased to bruise his son, is that there will always be things in the mind and works of God that are hard to understand. Look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55, and you know this passage, but I'll read it to you. Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9. Scripture here says, For my thoughts, and this is God speaking, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Higher, that is, than your thoughts. With that in mind, what can we learn from God the Father being pleased to crush his only begotten Son for us? What can I learn from that? What is God teaching me? Well, we know in Genesis 3, we read the account of man falling into sin. We know that that thing greatly displeased God, if you go back and read Genesis chapter 3. And you can hear the rebukes of God to Adam and to his wife and the curse pronounced. And so we know that that did not please God. For thousands of years after that, even in the believing people of Israel, they offered countless blood sacrifices. In all of those sacrifices, God was never sufficed and pleased. He never delighted in the blood of bulls and of goats. It wasn't until his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, willingly offered up himself for the sins of fallen humanity that God the Father was pleased, that he was sufficed, and that he was satisfied. In fact, the word means God said it is enough. Jesus was the only one in which God said enough. He was completely sufficed. And the Bible teaches, we'll read in a moment, that the blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sins. There was a remembrance of sins in the minds of those, and that's why they had to come year after year. As written in the prophet Daniel, the sacrifice of the, the Messiah would finish the transgression. I love that prophecy. It's the only place in the Old Testament where you read the word Messiah used for Christ. He would come and finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation for the people, and bring in everlasting righteousness. That's what we came to remember today. We remember the broken body and shed blood of Christ as making an end of sins. And in just that phrase from that passage in Daniel chapter 9, it should want us to make an end of sin in our life. In fact, John, the apostle, said, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. I really don't like to hear when people say, Well, you know we're going to sin. Well, don't surrender to the flesh. Don't surrender to the God of this world, beloved. And yes, I know it is true. But, beloved, John writes, Sin not. Jesus told the woman taken in adultery, go and sin no more. Now, beloved, that should be our focus. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse or a woman cleanse his or her way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Beloved, we should want to live a life of not sinning. So in the sacrifice of Christ, God would finally and forever be pleased and delighted in a sacrifice for fallen sinners, he would be sufficed. And now we begin to understand a little bit of how God, how Isaiah the prophet could write, it pleased Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, to bruise him. Understand, God was never dissatisfied with his son, but in this, God is well pleased 
with his son's sacrifice. And I think of that hymn, What wondrous love is this, O my soul? O my soul, what wondrous love is this, O my soul? Beloved, we see the great love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to bruise him, to crush him for our sins and for our iniquities. Now because of Christ, fallen sinners can come to a propitious God. Propitious meaning a satisfied God. Now there is a way, there is access. Now you may come to God by Jesus Christ. I love Romans 3. Turn there, Romans 3.23. So now, because of Christ, fallen sinners can come to God by faith in the one who put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. Romans 3.23. Paul writes here, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, by whom or whom God set forth to be a propitiation, to satisfy the justice of God for the sins of the world, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. You understand what that's saying is God, God's justice was silent to those of the Old Testament that believed in God, that saw Christ in those blood sacrifices. When a man and his wife and his children would bring their lamb to the tabernacle entrance, the father would put his hand on the neck, the back of the head of that sacrifice, and the priest would take it in and slay it. And so that father and that wife and that family, because that was making an atonement for that family, that didn't save that man, but that man and his wife's and his children's faith in that that's what the Messiah would be. That's where their faith was. But it had not yet been accomplished until Christ came to satisfy the justice of God. And he says here, through faith in his blood, that blood wasn't good enough. It had to be the blood of Christ. And it was shed for sins that were past for all the Old Testament saints, for, for every sinner whom God would save from the beginning of time to the end of the age. Christ is set forth to declare, God says, his righteousness. And that's a declaration of the righteousness of God to all that believe. So to declare at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of he that believeth in Jesus. And we know that the Bible says since that and since you believe Christ, who can lay anything against you? Who can bring any charges against you? None, because God's the one that justifies you by faith in Christ. And so that's that's a beautiful passage. But beloved, this is how we can understand God the Father being pleased to bruise and crush his son. But we must also understand that God has never been anything else but well pleased with his son. If it's possible, I would say, this is Jimmy speaking, 
God is more pleased with his son in him being willing to be made sin for us who knew no sin. Hebrews 10. Let's see this in the scriptures of Christ giving himself and satisfying God for the sins of the world. Notice in verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. And that's not sinlessly perfect, but make their salvation complete. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if one would do it, why keep coming? Well, keep coming because one wouldn't do it. And it was only a type and shadow of what Christ would be. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. This is the supernatural joy that you have in Christ. That Christ hath put away your sins. He's blotted out your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. He hath removed them that far from you. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. As a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. It's done. He goes on to say, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me for a sacrifice and for an offering. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure or in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, God was not pleased. And so think of that. It pleased God to bruise him. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure Therein, which are offered by the law, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. That's another beautiful thing about Christ that the Father so loved. Because Christ said, I always do those things that what? Please him. And so that's another beautiful part of the relationship in the Trinity between God the Father and God the Son. It says there, then he said, lo, I come to do thy will. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. He's speaking of a Levitical priest. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected, remember verse 1, 
The sacrifices year after year could never make the comers thereunto perfect. But here, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. And after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. And he says, I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Wonderful words, beloved. So God the Father took pleasure in his son's sacrifice on the cross in such a way that he would never have been pleased with the blood of bulls and of goats. God was pleased. But when God saw, beloved, the blood of Christ, he declared, that's enough. Isaiah 53, 11, just briefly, tells us another thing that's strange in our ears. In Isaiah 53, 11, you read this about Christ. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. If he's justifying many, then he's justifying them for their sins. For he shall bear their iniquities. So here we have a righteous servant. Suffering for the unjust. So here, Christ the righteous did bear the sins of many. In worldly terms, it does not compute the righteous dying for the wicked. It doesn't compute in our mind. Uh, doesn't compute in our minds. But again, beloved, we must ascend in our thoughts and our minds. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here, the just suffered and died for the condemned. The innocent one was put to death for the guilty ones. The sinless son of God suffered and died for the guilty and fallen sons and daughters of Adam, us. Beloved, we come to remember this morning and to celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus. Now think about that. Who celebrates death? Who celebrates death? We don't celebrate death. But we do celebrate this death because it is through his death, his burial, his resurrection that we have eternal life, brethren. Finally, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 12, you read this. He poured out his soul unto death. I want these little phrases from the scriptures to be in your minds. I want you to think about God being pleased to crush his son. I want you to think and know that you were on the other end of that transaction, not involved with it, but a recipient of God's pleasure. One who is now saved because God the Father was pleased to crush his son for sins that you should have been condemned for, that I should have been condemned for. And now we read in Isaiah 53, 12, he says, I have, he poured out his soul unto death. Psalm twenty-two fourteen says, I am poured out like water. It's the prophetic words of the Lord Jesus. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Listen, in Christ's death, remember this. He did not surrender. This wasn't a surrender. He gave his life and his soul. His death was deliberate. And he didn't die until he finished his work until he had completed his work. 
He did not give up the ghost and give himself to the jaws of death until his father's justice was satisfied. And then finally, beloved, we're the result of that. Isaiah says, I think it's in verse 11, he shall see his seed. That's you. In every generation, from humanity's beginning to the end of the age, God saw the seed and Christ would see his seed. The generations of the Lord Jesus Christ, that righteous seed, would continue. And it does today. Christ is still building his church. And so that's us. Christ continues to build his church. And now the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. So God is still pleased to save sinners by that sacrifice, by that blood that was shed on Golgotha's hill. Beloved, we're partakers of that kingdom which shall have no end. We come to celebrate the death of that man who died on the cross. And here's how you must think about it today for my sins. It must be you. This is not something we do this corporately, but this is something that you must do singularly. You must discern the body of the Lord Jesus for you. You must, by faith, believe that Christ died for you individually. And you say, yes, I believe that. Well, do you believe it today? We don't, believe, we don't, <clears throat> we don't rest in yesterday's faith. We settle ourselves on today's faith. We believe by faith every day. We walk by faith and not by sight every day. We wake up every day and we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You say, well, are you saying that I have to get resaved every day? No, but the life of the Christian is a life of faith. We believe daily. Listen, there's a brand of Christianity out there which someone will say, yes, I believed back in 1986. And yet their life since then has been nothing but lived in the flesh and carnal a life that's not of faith. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a believing faith. It continues. And so every time we come to the Lord's table, beloved, we're confirming our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what we do this morning, and you know this, uh, most of you have been here, is <clears throat> this is for born-again Christians only. Those who are believers in Christ whose sins were put away on the cross. For those in whose heart they say to themselves and to God, I don't want to sin anymore. It's not for those that would flippantly come and think, well, I'll just do this and go out and live the way I want. Listen, the real Christian life is not lived in here. The real Christian life is lived out there. If you go out there and you assimilate into the world, then something's wrong. There's a disconnect. There must, you, listen, there must be a connection between you and Christ that follows you out of this door. It must be the Spirit of God in you, beloved. And so the Christian life is not lived in here, though it is, but it's really lived out there. And so, beloved, that's uh, our Christian life. That's where we are to, to live and show forth Christ, to let our light so shine among men, to be salty salt in the world. And so when we come, 1 Corinthians 11, if you turn there, when, when we come, we come <clears throat> and we examine ourselves. <clears throat> we come to the Lord's table and we should come with a right heart. And again, that doesn't mean that 
we can have hearts that aren't right for the other three weeks of the month. No, we want to have hearts that are right with God all the time. We want to be discerning the death of Christ all the time. We want to be remembering that God was pleased to bruise his son and crush him for me. And so here's where we remember that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, For when ye come together into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That was a rebuke of Paul to the Corinthian church. For in eating every one taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. They were coming to the Lord's Supper in that culture in Corinth and coming as if they were eating a meal. Now he goes on in verse 23 to set them right. He says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as you drink it, it should be a continuing ordinance in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, you do show the death of Christ till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That is to come to the Lord's table carelessly or irreverently. We must never do that. But then he goes on to say, but let a man examine himself. This is the introspective part of the of taking the Lord's Supper. We examine ourselves. We confess our sins before our Lord. We confess if we've sinned and not been convicted over our sins. Paul says, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And he's, he's talking obviously here to believers. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation, or as it means condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, or not discerning what actually happened at that cross. Not discerning what happened between God the Father and God the Son. Not discerning that God the Father bruised and crushed his Son. For the sins of the world. He says for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves and here's where we need to be. This should be a daily mantra for every one of us. If we would judge ourselves we should not be judged. But when we are judged we are chastened of the Lord. That's a mercy. That we should not be condemned with the world. You hear people saying, don't you judge. I tell you here, judge yourself. You judge yourself against the pure mirror of God's word. And you turn from your sins daily. And when you are chastened of the Lord for sinning against him, consider yourself to be loved by God. Because the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Paul ends up to say, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. 
And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. And so, beloved, we come to this Lord's table to celebrate his death. We come to remember that he was crushed for our sins and for our iniquities. And so now we'll pass out the crackers. I'll have Gary pass out the crackers, um, which signifies the bread. And we'll take them. We'll thank the Lord for them. I think it's good if you break the cracker. He says, take it. We break this bread and eat it in remembrance of my death. And so that's what we do, brethren. This is not the body and flesh of Christ. We do this in remembrance of his death for our sins. And so that is what we do now by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, by faith and in thankfulness. You know, you think about this Passover that the Lord Jesus was taking with his apostles and what was going on in that time. And there was converse between the disciples and Christ. Christ said, one of you that is going to take of this Passover is going to betray me. And so they all hear it and they're thinking, is it I, is it I? And the Apostle John was leaning right there against the breast of Jesus. And he said, who is it? He asked him. And Jesus said, it's the one that dips his hand with me with the sop in the dish. Now, I've often thought there were many that were dipping their hands in. But there were many things going on there in the mind of both the Apostles And then there's the Lord Jesus taking this Passover, knowing that he would be betrayed by one of his own 12 apostles. And yet it was a determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. And now he would go. And so, but in all of this, he he took it. He said, take this bread and eat it. Because my body is going to be broken like this for you. And he said, do this and remember me. Do it in remembrance of me. Amen. Brother Gary, would you pray? <clears throat> and we're thankful for this remembrance. Lord, we are forgetful people. And we're just mm. thankful to be able to partake of this and be reminded every month, Lord. It ought to be uh, every day in our own hearts that we need to be reminded of what you've done for us. We're so thankful that the Father is willing to give up his Son in freedom uh, between both willingness on the part of Christ to be sacrificed.
done for us, and oh, may we ever be in remembrance of it. What a, what a wonderful God that we serve. We're thankful for that broken body, Lord, and uh, the willingness uh, of it. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to help us be mindful of it each and every day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Take and eat, brother. <coughs> Amen. Brother Chris? Chris is going back to his seat. Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. He says, verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I often think 
at this point, <clears throat> and I think it's right to think, that blood was shed for me. His life was given for me. Amen. Pray for us, brother. Dear Father, we do give thanks again this morning. And we reflect on what our brother spoke about this morning to God. That this is my beloved son, which I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. And I know this came to my mind that the pleasure that you have, Lord, was we understand that you are a God of mercy and of loving kindness, but you're also a God of justice and a God of wrath. And I know that perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, that you poured your wrath out on him and your justice was appeased upon us who believe, whom you have redeemed from this world. And we reflect on this blood that was poured out on Calvary, Lord, to appease that wrath mm -hmm. that we deserve. And because you poured it out, Lord, you said, as Brother Jamie said earlier, that's enough, I'm satisfied. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we can have grace and mercy because we deserve to be on that call. Mm -hmm. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love that knowing that you're a God of mercy, but you're also a just God that the scripture says that you cannot pass over sin. Sin must be paid for. And Christ paid for on our behalf. Well, let's never lose sight of that, how great a penalty that sin is that our Lord suffered and died so that where we could be reconciled. Let us never lose sight of that. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Take and drink, brother. <clears throat> drink by faith, but actually believing that that blood was shed for you. Amen. <clears throat> Bible says after that they had taken the Passover, they went out to the Mount of Olives and they sung a hymn. <clears throat> so I'll have you to a scripture song, John chapter 10, and then we'll be dismissed, verses 27 to 29. Many of you know it, some of you may not. <clears throat> if you know it, please help me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never, never, never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me 
is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Father, we ask that you'd bless our break time and Lord prepare us for the main service. We thank you so much that you allowed us to come to the table of the Lord and Father to remember your broken body and shed blood for our sins. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.